0: Chapter Nine of John Stuart Mill: His Life and Works. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. John Stuart Mill: His Life and Works. His Influence at the Universities, by Henry Fawcett. Some time ago, when there was no reason to suppose that we should so soon have to mourn the loss of the great thinker and of the kind friend who has just passed away. I had occasion to remark upon the influence which Mr. Mill had exercised at the Universities. I will quote my words as they stand, because it is difficult to write with impartiality about one whose recent death we are deploying. And Mr. Mill would, I am sure, have been the first to say that it is certainly not honouring the memory of one who is dead to lavish upon him praise which would not be bestowed upon him if he were living. I will therefore repeat my words exactly as they were written two years since. Any one who has resided during the last twenty years at either of our universities must have noticed that Mr. Mill is the author who has most powerfully influenced nearly all the young men of the greatest promise. In thus referring to the powerful influence exercised by Mr. Mill's works, i do not wish it to be supposed that this influence is to be measured by the extent to which his books form a part of the university curriculum his logic has no doubt become a standard examination book at oxford at cambridge the mathematical and classical triposes still retain their former prestige the moral science tripos, though increasing in importance still attracts a comparatively small number of students and there is probably no other examination for which it is necessary to read Mr. Mill's logic and political economy. This fact affords the most satisfactory evidence that the influence he has exerted is spontaneous, and is therefore likely to be lasting in its effects. If students have been driven to read his books by the necessity which examinations impose, it is quite possible that after the examination the books might never be looked at again. A resident, however, at the University can scarcely fail to be struck with the fact that many who perfectly well know that they will never in any examination be asked to answer a question in logic or political economy, are among the most diligent students of Mr. Mill's books. When I was an undergraduate I well remember that most of my friends, who were likely to take high mathematical honors, were already so ultimately acquainted with Mr. Mill's writings and were so much imbued with their spirit that they might have been regarded as his disciples. Many looked up to him as their teacher. Many have since felt that he then instilled into them principles which, to a great extent, have guided their conduct in after-life. Any one who is intimately acquainted with Mr. Mill's writings will readily understand how it is that they possess such peculiar attractiveness for the class of readers to whom I am now referring. There is nothing more characteristic in his writings than generosity and courage. He always states his opponent's case with the most judicial impartiality. He never shrinks from the expression of opinion because he thinks it unpopular. And there is nothing so abhorrent to him as that bigotry which prevents a man from appreciating what is just and true in the views of those who differ from him. This toleration, which is so predominant a feature of his writings, is probably one of the rarest of all qualities in a controversialist. Those who do not possess it always produce an impression that they are unfair, and this impression, once produced, exercises a repelling influence upon the young. Another cause of the attractiveness of Mr. Mill's writings is the precision with which his views are expressed, and the systematic form which is given to his opinions. Confidence is reposed in him as a guide, because it is found that there is some definite goal to which he is leading his readers. He does not conduct them, they know not whither. As a traveller who has lost his way in a mist, or a navigator who is steering his ship without a compass. The influence exercised by Mr. Mill does not chiefly depend upon the originality of his writings. He did not make any great discovery which will form an epoch in the history of human thought." He did not create a new science, or become the founder of a new system of philosophy. There is perhaps not so much originality in his political economy as in Ricardo's. But there are thousands who never thought of reading Ricardo, who were so much attracted by Mr. Mill's book that its influence might be traced throughout the rest of their lives. No doubt one reason of his attractiveness as a writer, in addition to other circumstances, to which allusion has already been made, is the unusual power he possessed, in applying philosophical principles to the facts of ordinary life. To those who believe that the influence Mr. Mill has exercised at the universities has been in the highest degree beneficial, to those who think that his books not only afford the most admirable intellectual training, but also are calculated to produce a most healthy moral influence, it may be some consolation, now that we are deploring his death, to know that, although he has passed away he may still continue to be a teacher and a guide i believe he never visited the english universities it was consequently entirely through his books that he was known not one of those who were his greatest admirers at cambridge when i was an undergraduate ever saw him till many years after they had left the university i remember that we often used to say that there was nothing we should esteem so great a privilege as to spend an hour in mr mill's society there is probably no bond of attachment stronger than that which unites a pupil to one who has attracted him to new intellectual pursuits, and has awakened in him new interests in life. Some four or five years after taking my degree I met Mr. Mill for the first time, and from that hour an intimate friendship commenced, which I shall always regard as a peculiarly high privilege to have enjoyed. Intimacy with Mr. Mill convinced me that, if he had happened to live at either of the universities his personal influence would have been no less striking than his intellectual influence nothing perhaps was so remarkable in his character as his tenderness to the feelings of others and the deference with which he listened to those in every respect inferior to himself there never was a man who was more entirely free from that intellectual conceit which breeds disdain nothing is so discouraging and heart-breaking to young people as the sneer of an intellectual cynic a sarcasm about an act of youthful mental enthusiasm not only often casts a fatal chill over the character but is resented as an injury never to be forgiven the most humble youth would have found in mr mill the warmest and most kindly sympathy it may be said if mr mill has not become the founder of a new philosophical school at the universities where must we seek the result of his influence I cannot give anything like a complete reply to this question now. But any one who has observed the marked change which has come over the mode of thought in the Universities in the last few years, will be able to form some idea of the kind of influence which has been exercised by Mr. Mill. Speaking generally, he has obtained a very wide acceptance of the utilitarian doctrines. They were presented by Bentham in a form so harsh and unattractive as to produce an almost repelling effect. Mr. Mill, on the contrary, showed that the utilitarian philosophy might inspire the most active benevolence and the most generous enthusiasm. This acceptance of utilitarianism has produced a very striking effect in modifying the political opinions prevalent in the universities. For many years what has been known as the liberalism of young Oxford and Cambridge, is in many respects fundamentally different from what is known as Liberalism outside the Universities. The Liberalism of the Universities, as well as that of the Manchester School, are both popularly described as advanced, but between the two there is in many essentials the widest possible divergence. What is known as Philosophical Radicalism will long bear the impression of Mr. Mill's teaching. It should be particularly remembered that, avowing himself a Liberal, He never forgot that it is the essence of true liberalism to be tolerant of opinions from which one differs, and to appreciate the advantages of branches of learning to which one has not devoted special attention. It is somewhat rare to find that those who profess themselves undoubted liberals are prepared to accept a consistent application of their principles. There is almost sure to be some region of inquiry which they regard as so dangerous that they regret that any one should enter upon it. Sometimes it is said that freedom of thought, though admirable in politics, is mischievous in theology. Some, advancing what they believe to be one step further, express a general approbation of freedom of thought, but stigmatize free-thinkers. Again, it may be not infrequently observed that devotion to some particular study makes men illiberal to other branches of knowledge. Metaphysicians and physiologists, who have never taken the trouble to master mathematical principles dogmatically denounce the influence of mathematics. Eminent classics and mathematicians have too frequently sneered at each other's studies. No one was ever more free from this kind of bigotry than Mr. Mill, and it probably constitutes one of the main causes of his influence. Some years ago I happened to be conversing at Cambridge with three men who were respectively of great eminence in mathematics, classics, and physiology. We were discussing the inaugural address, which Mr. Mill had just delivered as Rector of the St. Andrew's University. The mathematician said that he had never seen the advantages to be derived from the study of mathematics so justly and so forcibly described. The same remark was made by the Classic about classics, and by the physiologist about natural science. No more fitting homage can probably be offered to the memory of one to whom so many of us are bound by the strongest ties of gratitude and affection, than if, profiting by his example, we endeavour to remember, that above all things he was just to his opponents, that he appreciated opinions from which he differed, and that one of his highest claims to our admiration was his general sympathy with all branches of knowledge. End of chapter 9 Recording by Bill Borst